We are looking forward to sharing in communion this morning as we do it the first Sunday of the month. And uh, as the weather changes and now it feels like we're in uh, summer, we need uh, the refreshing and the rest that we have. We come together. How many of you are grateful for air conditioning? (laughs) What a blessing it is. And uh, uh, it's a nice, comfortable uh, place uh, to worship. And uh, recently I was in Kenya uh, where there's not much air conditioning. And uh, the places where people meet uh, don't look so good, don't smell so good, very uncomfortable. Yet the, the overwhelming joy and gratitude of the believers there is so exhilarating, you don't even think about those conditions. And we think, you know, who is going to praise God the loudest? The person who's had the greatest miracle, <laughs> who's forgiven of the most sin, who has seen God intervene in the greatest way. And so it is. We need to reach above our comforts and experience uh, his greatness. Well, um, last Sunday afternoon, some of us had to catch uh, uh, planes to uh, Dallas for our convention, so we missed the memorial picnic. I I guess you had a great time, and I think that's wonderful. And I'm grateful for Celebrate Recovery uh, leading the way. And uh, what a great celebration. Maybe you want to do something for 4th of July. Uh, you already thought about that probably, haven't you? <laughs> We've done that before. And I think it's a great time for the, a church uh, to be able to uh, get together and, uh, and do these things. And let me announce that it was a good uh, convention. Uh, almost 3,000 people, representatives from churches all over the country and some 50 other nations. It was a wonderful time, and uh, it was uh, interesting that uh, after the first evening session, um, our president, uh, uh, Glenn Burris, said, you know, I just feel like God's calling us to a season of prayer, and uh, if you'd like to take a little break and then come back and let's pray, and he was thinking maybe two or three hundred people out of that 2,500 that were assembled, and guess what? He dismissed us and nobody left. There were a few that left who had to leave, but there was something, let me just say it this, was something about being in the grip of God, realizing that God was dealing with us, and the prayer meeting he thought would last 15 or 20 minutes lasted an hour and a half, and then people continued to tarry and wait before the Lord. Let me tell you, there was a move of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, which was of historic proportion. Do you know what I mean? We're going to remember that prayer meeting on Monday night of the 2014 connection convention because God did something real in all of our lives. And we need him, don't we? We need him. Uh, this morning we're looking at the book of Acts, the ninth chapter, and I I'm really continuing my series on what happens when Jesus shows up. We're looking at the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And here we have in Acts chapter 9, where God or Jesus shows up in the life of a very unexpected person, someone who is actually against Christ, persecuting Christians, 
filled with anger and self-righteousness. And, and Jesus shows up in his life and changes everything. How many of you have uh, come to the conclusion by now as a Christian that we serve a sovereign God? And that his will is the most important thing for us to consider as we consider our relationship with him. Have you noticed by now that as you approach God and you realize his sovereignty, if there's any adjustment to be made, it needs to be made on your end because God's already in the right place. And sometimes in our prayer, it's like we're getting God to change his mind or his position or his plan or whatever, when we just need to line up with his greater purpose. And what a wonderful example we have of this in the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, member of the Sanhedrin, Jewish zealot, going about persecuting Christians on his way to Damascus, carrying letters to take more prisoners. Now listen, this was not a short trip. Damascus is about 175 miles, camel miles, horse miles, walking miles from Jerusalem. And he's almost at Damascus and Jesus shows up. And there... In the bright noonday sun, he shows up as a greater light, blinding him, causing him to, to fall off of his high horse of religious pride. There he is on the ground, blinded, helpless, <coughs> and Jesus speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus. Jesus showed up. Jesus interrupted interrupted Saul's life. Jesus spoke a word to Saul that left him broken and helpless. Trust me, Jesus intervened in such a way that through that encounter, Paul knew that his life was meaningless, worthless. There was no reason for him to go on because he was so determined to destroy the cause of Christ. And now Christ, he discovers, is the way. You know, God has a way of interrupting our lives. We, we've said it this way before. God has a way of ruining our lives. Because we have them so neatly and purposefully planned to fulfill our expectations. Aren't you glad that we have a God who doesn't care a hoot about how we want to live our lives? He has a greater purpose that will be more fulfilling than anything we could possibly fulfill. I'm saying, oh God, please cancel my plans. Oh, God, please show me your way. Oh, God, please help me to make these impossible adjustments that I don't want to make because I've learned by now that his way is the true way. His life is the only life. 
And my adjustments are about, about discovering his purpose, letting go of my plans and my ways, and truly becoming aligned to his greater, greater purpose. Hallelujah. How many of you can really say that Jesus showed up in your life and changed some things? Changed some things. Changed you. Changed your goals. Changed your priorities. And so it is. And guess what? The exciting thing about this is Jesus is still in the business of showing up in people's lives just the way he did in those post-resurrection appearances and he can change everything. He can change everything in an instant. And so it goes. And isn't it interesting that some of the people that you think are the very last to come into the kingdom, some of the people that you have even given up on, you don't even think it's worth praying for them anymore. And they're the ones who get the flash <laughs> of light and are changed and transformed. And then some of the other people that we are so sure are so close to the kingdom, if only they could just step over. They're such good people. They have so much potential. And they never, never come into the kingdom. And we realize that God doesn't see things the way we see them. And we need to be careful not to give up on people before God gives up on people. And guess what? God never gives up. Praise God. I've got members of my own family that I thought were hopeless cases. How about you? That came to Christ and totally without me, my influence. I prayed for him, yeah, but I thought, Lord, this is impossible. And then somehow God, and I think it's my mother's prayers or my grandmother's prayers. Yes, the collective prayers of all of us, but aren't you grateful that God isn't limited God isn't limited to our, I'm going to say it, our puny prayers and our short-sighted attitudes in reaching people who need him. <clears throat> and that's just the barely the beginning of the introduction. And my time is half gone. So let's look at the scripture. Let me open up a few things and I can tell I'm going to have to continue on this, uh, this theme next week. Uh, I want you to look at chapter 9. And how this starts, the introduction of Paul. Meanwhile, Saul, that's Paul's name before he had this transformation, was still, get this language, still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. What an unlikely choice for an apostle. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's, that's the way of Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? And the voice answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he replied, Now get up and go into the city, 
and you will be told what you must do. Jesus isn't wasting any time here. <laughs> Jesus isn't saying, okay, uh, Saul, let's talk about this for a while so I can help you change your thinking. There was an interruption in his life. He was forever changed. Jesus knew what it took to reach him. And here we ask the question, you know, we look at this dramatic event of Saul's life being interrupted. And why is it that not all of us have such a dramatic event? Have you ever thought about that? Why this person has had this kind of conversion experience and this and that? And some just kind of just gently grow into it without anything catastrophic ha happening. And you know, the answer to all that question and speculation is just this. Now hear me. God leads us into his kingdom the way each of us needs to be led. Each way is special. Each way is perfect in terms of God's plan. And we should not be, can I say, we should not compare our conversion experiences. We, sure, we certainly should not be jealous of those who seem to have had more dramatic experiences because we realize if you came into the kingdom, it was the right way for you. What's the evidence of that? You're in the kingdom. And I say... Lord, thank you for doing what was necessary for me. Isn't that great that he looks at you? He sees your need. He sees how you are made. He knows exactly how to lead you in such a way that will transform your life. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the way he intervened in my life. How about you? I'm grateful for the way that in seasons of my life when I was resisting his purpose, his will, he had a way of convincing me, dealing with, dealing with me, even breaking me. How many of you know what it means to be broken? You really had it, your life set, and God has to break it in order to get you started again in a fresh way, in a good way. How wonderful and how dramatic. Now, you'll notice this Saul character and how he's introduced. As you turn back, notice at the end of chapter 7 how Luke introduces this character. And here he is, a young man named Saul. And where is he? Watching the coats of the witnesses of those who are stoning Stephen. What do you think about that? This is someone God's going to choose to be one of his apostles. Someone who was so low. Someone who is so far from God. So, someone so much against Christ that he's assisting in the stoning of a young evangelist named Stephen who was so bold as to preach the gospel in the face of the Sanhedrin. And then in chapter 8, we see Saul appearing. As it says in verse 3, but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. I don't like Saul. How about you? 
I don't like him. I don't like his attitude. <laughs> I don't like his self-righteousness. I don't like his religion. I don't like his violence as he comes against the church. How is it that God saw something deep in Saul that had potential for his kingdom? Well, we don't understand. That's a mystery to us, isn't it? We can't see it. But God saw something in Saul that he could use. And so he appeared. And so he intervened. And so he changed his life. I can say, I can tell that I'm only going to get to the first point of my message this morning. And I want you to follow with me because there's five parts that we see here in the pattern. And it's similar to Jesus' other uh, appearances when he showed up. And the first point is simply this, that what happened here really begins, Jesus' interviewing, as a confrontation. It truly is a confrontation. Because Saul's mind and his heart are in a different place. They're set against God, not even realizing that his self-righteousness was a huge wall, keeping him from understanding the grace of God. As we continue with this message, I want us to move from the confrontation to Saul's conversion. As there's a change in his life, and there's a model here, That is so instructive to us in terms of how God changes us. And how we can be involved in changing others. How many of you really want to be a soul winner? How many of you really want to lead others to Christ? How many of you want to understand something about the process of conversion where people really do change? You know, being converted is more, forgive me, than signing a decision card. As important as that is, and how we value that, and how it's become kind of a ritual in evangelical Christianity. You know what? A signed card without a changed life means absolutely nothing. And so it's the changed life that we want. The third thing I want us to see is Paul is confronted, he is converted. And then right there on the spot in the midst of that, he receives his calling. How is it that Jesus didn't waste any time? What does it mean to be called? Do you believe you're called? I believe you are. We need to know our calling. We need to hear God's voice. We need to respond. We need to know the importance. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I hope you're here this morning because you're listening to the voice of your Savior, the Good Shepherd, in your life journey. And you're here because you know God wants you to grow and to serve. Well, the fourth thing I want us to see in this incredible interruption in Saul's life is from his calling, we move forward to see his consecration. How many of you know it's possible to be called of God and to resist that call? To still go your own way. To rebel against God. It requires consecration. Which is when our life 
actually is set aside for God's purpose and becomes something sacred, something holy, something God can use. God doesn't just convert us in our, in our minds so that we will agree with him and we get to live the same old way. He wants us to be consecrated. Something about putting our life on the altar, <laughs> becoming living sacrifices, which happened here. And so we see the consecration process in Paul's. And then finally, the fifth thing I want us to talk about is his specific commission. He was finally ready to serve after going through this process, though it took, what, three days? Can you imagine? Three days, he's confronted, he's converted, he's called, he's consecrated, he's commissioned, and Luke says that he immediately began preaching the gospel in the synagogue. Whoa. I wonder about the guys that had heard him a week before. <laughs> I think they saw a change. What do you think? He said, and he was, he was doing it so powerfully, they couldn't resist his testimony. Wow. He had something. He had something to share. And there was transformation. Well, we'll continue on this. But let me say, this confrontation, which is so real, we're going to have communion this morning, and I want to wind things up so we have time to that, we won't rush communion. You know, I heard uh, Franklin Graham talk about his experience, his, uh, <clears throat> his struggle with God's plan for his life. And he said, you know, my father always told us kids, hear this, don't try to be a preacher if God will let you do anything else you can possibly do. He said, I didn't understand that. He said, I, could, I thought I could be a preacher just like I could be a dentist. And there would probably be an advantage because my dad was Billy Graham. But he said, but then I realized that I couldn't be a preacher unless God made me a preacher. Wasn't enough to be Billy Graham's son. Wasn't enough to have all the advantages and opportunities of a good Christian home and a, a godly example and a good education. Opportunities everywhere to serve unless God makes a preacher a man of God only God can make a man of God only God can make a preacher and so he said you know what he said I spent the first half of my life first trying to be like my dad and then trying to be anything but my dad and I came to the place where I realized that God had hunted me down, took hold of my life, and there, is, there was nothing I could do with my life that would have any value at all other than to serve him. And he said it wasn't until then that God could begin to use me. And his, how many of you know that Franklin, ministries, Franklin Graham's ministry is much different from his father's, which is a great testimony to all of us. 
that God, God gets to do what he wants to do with our lives. And don't fight against that. But accept it and go with it. And I'm thinking how typical this is for all of us as we realize we wrestle with God. <laughs> as Jesus shows up at various times and he, he helps us to, to turn that corner, to make that choice, to have that breakthrough. Aren't you glad? Let me just say it this way. Aren't you glad that God has never given up on you? He hasn't given up. Aren't you glad that there's better things in the future than everything in the past combined? Because God has good plans for each one of us. And he knows how. He knows how to show up in our lives and to transform us in such a way that we can be useful in his kingdom. Lord, help us, God. I'm just, Lord, my words are inadequate, oh God, to appeal in such a way that people could see, oh God, your great love and your great compassion. And Lord, your readiness to work in our lives, oh God, to, to Lord, to change us dramatically, oh God, to fulfill your purpose. Oh God, help us to see this communion place, this Lord, this invitation from you is an opportunity for you to show up in our lives afresh, O oh God. As you are already here, you're already showing us things, O oh God. Help us to say yes. Help us to consecrate ourselves as we come around this table, O oh God, as we say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand. And I'm going to have Pastor Phil and Sharon lead us and lead us in a song. Thank <laughs> you.